0: And the anchor ship It's time now for the Anchor Baptist Church radio broadcast with Dr. Randy Barton, pastor of the Anchor Baptist Church in Pisgah Forest, North Carolina. Stay tuned as we listen to a message from one of the services at Anchor Baptist Church. The are told, And I have for As I faced the raging sea, but the anchor holds. Thank God, thank God. In spite of the storm, I want you to look at one verse, then we're gonna to have to go back and look at some background verses to be able to go get where we're going. Look what the Bible says in the book of Job, chapter number two. And in verse number 8, the book of Job, chapter number 2, and in verse number 8, and we're going to be turning back and forth in the book of Job as we get some background. Job 2 and verse 8, the Bible says that he took a potsherd to scrape himself withal, and he sat down among the ashes. This morning, I want to preach for a few moments on sitting among the ashes. Let's bow our hearts. Father. Would you help us today? Lord, we need you. Lord, we need you more than we need the breath that we breathe. Lord, we need you more than, uh, Lord, we need the blood that flows through our veins. Lord, we need you today. Help us, God, do something in our hearts that will make it past the back door, something of lasting value. We'll thank you for all that you do in Christ's name. Amen and amen. Thank you very much, and please be seated. If you're a student of the book of Job, you'll know that uh, the book of Job is, 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 is a tough book. Job is probably the champion of champions. He is one of God's great champions. I know of no other man that God said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? I mean, God brought it up. God brought it up and and God brought it out. And the reason the things that befell Job was because God set him forth as an example. But I, 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 I found it very interesting when I began to study this the book of Job, chapter 48, chapter 42, verse 8, the closing of the book, the book ends with an altar. As a matter of fact, the Lord told those three friends that had given Job such a fit to go and offer seven sacrifices on an altar and to see if they could get, see if he could get Job to pray for them, to vindicate Job in his position. And the Bible says that when Job prayed for them and interceded, God restored and doubled all that he had. I thought that was a great lesson right there. It was not until Job was willing to intercede for these fellows that had given him a fit in his lowest, darkest moment, these three so-called friends that had, had persecuted him verbally, sitting on the ash heap, it was not until they... Uh, Not until he prayed for them and they had been to the altar that God doubled everything that Job had. So the book of Job ends with an altar in chapter 42, verse number 8. But the book of Job also begins with an altar. If you'll look over just one chapter, chapter number 1, the Bible tells all that he has. There was a man in the land of us whose name was Job. And the Bible says that uh, his sons feasted in verse 4 and they were all in the house feasting. Verse 5, And so it was when the days of their feasting were gone about that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts continually. Continually. Look what the scripture says, Offered burnt offerings. So, The book of Job ends with a burnt offering and it also begins with a burnt offering. In other words, the book of Job starts out with an altar and ends up at an altar. And just in chapter number two, we find what happened. First of all, everything that he had was taken away in chapter number one, but he still retained his integrity. But in chapter number 2, the devil once again attacked Job with permission. And this time, he smote him from the top of his head out to the bottom of his feet with boils, the Bible says, in verse number 7 of Job chapter 2. And it was then in that place, in verse number 8, he took him a pot shirt to scrape himself with all, and he sat down among the ashes. Sitting among the ashes. Let me just... See if I can settle down. I need to try to calm down. I'm excited about this. I need to try to calm down and try to to relay to you and convey to you some truths that Job found while sitting among the ashes. When you are sitting among the ashes and there's not, I mean, everything that you have is, is destroyed. And you're sitting among the ashes. Why would Job go sit among the ashes? This young man said this and it rung the bell in my heart. He said, I believe the reason Job sat down among the ashes and we would assume that those ashes were that altar where he would burnt those sacrifices. The reason that he sat out among the ashes is because he went back to where he seen God last. He went back to where last time he saw God and sat down. Let me just say to you in a very emphatic way. Hey, when you get to where you can't find God, you go back, you backtrack, you look back, you go to tracking yourself, you backtrack, and you figure out where you left God. Hey, He didn't leave you, where you left God, where I left God. Can I tell you the best way to get to where God's, that's to go back to where you last saw Him? He had been with God. Hey, he had been offering sacrifice. He had been with God. Somebody said, you don't know that to be true. Oh, yeah, I got a book on it. I'll show you. I'll share it with you in a minute. I, I want you to understand that, that hey, he had been with God. God. God had met with him. And there's proof in the Bible that it had. Can I say that there ought to be a place of solitude in your life? And that altar was apparently a place of solitude in Job's life. It was the place where Job met with God, and God met with Job, and so he needed to get back to where he had last seen God. The Bible says he rose up early in the morning before everybody else was up and everybody else was awake. And he went out to that quiet place, and he got along with God. Didn't do it for the show he didn't do it for everybody else to know. He had his sacrifices lined up, and he went out there to be have time with God. And the Bible says, and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. And here's the thing. Read the latter part of verse number 5. The Bible said, Thus did Job continually. Listen to what I'm going to say. I believe there was a great pile of ashes there. How come? Because this was not once in a lifetime thing for Job. This was something that Job did all the time. This is what Job did continually. Hey, he, hey, there was a great pile of ashes out there because that's where the sacrifices of his life had been made and that's where the burnt offerings had been made. Now let me very quickly say Job was not a priest. I believe that Job lived in those patriarchal days People argue about when Job lived. Let me tell you where I believe he lives. I believe he was after the flood and before Abraham. Now that's personal opinion. He, you don't find him in the lineage of the patriarchs. He's not there. Well, who is he and where is he? he? He come out of he come out of nowhere. But yet he was so God dedicated a whole book of his life. In other words, he had a personal relationship with God, a patriarchal type relationship. I believe this predates the law of Moses. I believe it predates the Levitical law and the the Aaronic line of priests. He was being, if you will, uh, he had the priesthood of the believer. He was the priest of of his household, if you will. Can I say, thank God in this day and hour, you and I have the priesthood of the believer. You and I, my friend, can offer sacrifice on a daily basis. Hey, you don't have to go to a man that dresses like mama and they call papa and confess your sins through a knot hole. You ain't got to do that. You can walk directly into the presence of God Almighty in the bowl, into the throne of grace and make our petition known and find grace to help in time of need thank god each one of us have been sanctified priest therefore we have audience with god through our mediator the lord jesus christ boy i think we fall short i think of as anything that modern day believers comes short of, is realizing that truth that, my friend, you have been made. I, you've been made more than Aaron. Hey, Aaron could only go in at certain times. His sons could only go in at certain times. Only once a year did they dare enter into the holy place by in the holy of holies. But listen to me, hey, we can live in the holy of holies every day we want to. There ain't a thing keeping us out. We don't have to go through the ritual of dress and the ritual of of sacrifice and the ritual of cleansing. Hey, thank God the Lord Jesus did all of that for us. That middle wall of petition has been torn down. That veil swung open and the rocks were rent. And thank God now we have a better and living way. Oh, hallelujah. I'm talking about the place of solitude sitting among the ashes. can I say something about the place of surrender sitting among the ashes? The Bible said that in the midst of this, we're back in chapter number one, down in verse number 20. My friend, he gets some bad news, some real bad news. Real bad news. I, I spent most of the day yesterday recalling One of the worst calls I was ever on. It was just on my mind all day. I had to walk to a man's house. He actually wasn't home. I had to tell his wife that their son had died. Supposed to be spending a night with a friend. Had found him dead the next morning. And as he pulled up in the driveway, law enforcement and myself, I walked run to the door when I heard the car And I stood in the doorway and as he'd come in, I grabbed him by the hand and I held him as tight as I could squeeze. And I said, I'm getting ready to tell you the worst news of your entire life. He later told me, a few years later, he told me, he said, I've never had anybody squeeze my hand that hard. And he said, do you remember what you said? I said, I do. I I remember every detail of what I said. I remember your facial expression. I remember everything about it. It's like it's frozen time in my mind. This man lost a single son. How do you think a man that lost seven sons and three daughters felt? He lost all his livestock. That's bad. He lost all his labors but four. That's bad. But my friend, he lost more than just, uh, more than just his possessions. You see, he lost his posterity. What do you mean? Well, this day and time, we don't think much about it. But back in that day, men knew that the only thing that they had to leave behind was their children. And so they invested everything in their kids. They lived on in their children. And now he has no posterity. He is about, looks like he's sick unto death and he's going to die. And he has no seed left upon the earth As long as he had sons to carry on and daughters to carry on and grandchildren and had somebody to carry on his line, hey, it would be all right. But all of that was gone. And Job's name apparently was going to be wiped from the face of the earth. Can I tell you, that was the worst thing that could happen. That's why when when they would take and execute the entire family, what that meant was your line's erased. Your bloodline ceases to exist. It's over. Your place, your heritage, your history on this earth comes to an abrupt end. It's over. Back then, they thought a lot more about that than we do in this day. But can I tell you that in the midst of that, I, I can't prove everything. I, I mean, I can't, I can't prove everything I'm about to say to you. But I believe it to be true. I believe that he reached and picked up as he sat down on that sitting on those ashes. He picked up a handful of ashes and he sifted them through his fingers, and he thought about. You see, when when you have animals born, those animals had to be redeemed. That firstling of the flock, I bet he thought about maybe on that very spot where he offered his first lamb of the sheep. Maybe he offered the first oxen of the cattle. He didn't offer a, a, a donkey that was an unclean animal, but he had to either break its neck or redeem it with a lamb. And so maybe he picked up that ashes and thought about that first donkey that was born to him as it shifted through his fingers. Maybe his first laborer, maybe the first, and he, as he thought about those things, all of that livestock's gone. Best I can tell is 1,000 oxen dead, 500 female donkeys are dead, there's 7,000 sheep dead, there's 3,000 camels dead. Can't prove everything, I, I, again, I can't tell you exactly. Abraham had 318 servants. I know what Abraham had, 318 servants. But I figured up Job's, Job had at least 1,500, and that's being very, very conservative in my count. If you've ever had any dealings with a donkey, it takes about two men for one donkey to get that thing to do anything. And so, it, but if you, if you count, I didn't even count the donkeys, if you count them conservative. Hey, if you've, got, if you've got 500 yoke of oxen, it takes 500 men. And I'm talking about much of a man to, power, to plow a yoke of oxen. If there's two, if it's a yoke, there's two of them. So there was 500 plow boys, and that's all they did was plow. Not counting the donkeys, not counting uh, the guys that held the camels. And again, I I counted it very, very cautiously and very conservatively. But I'm talking about uh, he probably lost 1,500 people that day. There's only four. Somebody said, why was four left? The devil wanted to leave somebody alive that bear the bad news. He'll always do that. He'll always do it to work. Not everybody's going to die. Somebody's got to tell the bad news. Please don't be the one the devil keeps alive to bear the bad news. Please don't be the one that rejoices to tell bad news. Again and again, four times they come in and say, and I and I alone am left. I'm the only one. Everybody else has got, I'm the only one. And so he came into this place and his, his, his possessions are gone. And his posterity's gone. And look what he said. Look what the look what happened. Verse number 20. He hears about his children. It says while he was yet speaking, verse 18, there came another and said, Thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young men, and they are dead, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. Verse 20, he was not without emotion, he was human. He rose and he rent his mantle. The Bible says, and he shaved his head, which was a sign of grief. He fell down upon the ground and he cursed and kicked and wallowed in the dirt. One of the reasons I held that man's hand very tight, I wanted to control him. You see, I had a man take a swing at me. Family visiting here from Louisiana. Eight-year-old boy. Beautiful little eight-year-old boy. Run ahead up on the trail. Drift falls. Run down the falls. Feet flew up under him. Went down. Hit his head. Sucked him up under it. 45 minutes to get him out. It was a cold water drowning. They rushed him to the hospital, called me to be there. I met the ambulance at the hospital. They worked vigorously trying to, trying to save that little boy. but They couldn't get a thing back. And finally, they come and slipped and whispered and told me. They had him all laid out, one little punk knot on his head. Beautiful little boy. I told the dad. He seemed calm enough. He said, I want to see him. They had they'd covered him with a sheet and had laid him out on there on the gurney at Boulevard Hospital. I walked him in, stepped aside, and I just kind of bowed my head. He stepped up. He took one look at his son. He turned and whirled, and his fist come beside of my head, and he busted a hole in the sheetrock of the exam room. I mean, bam, right beside my head. So when I met with this other gentleman, I held his hand very tight because I wanted to control that right hand because I had almost been hurt before. And I held it tight. I didn't know what his reaction was going to be. I've seen people fall on the ground in doing, doing uh, death notices. I, I had a grandmother who come out running through the yard, and I had a highway patrol woman, and she come running through the yard, and she said, "No, preacher, no!" And she fell in the grass at my feet, not far from where Samuel wrecked, just just about two curves up. I had an eighteen-year-old bust a tree dead center of a tree on a rainy Friday night, three o'clock in the morning, I high patrol of myself knock on the door and the woman flips the light on and comes to the door in her night and sees me and goes to screaming, no, 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 and runs backwards through the house. People respond all kind of way when everything that they have is nothing but ashes, nothing left but ashes. But the Bible says about Job, the Bible says that Job fell upon the ground. and look what he said and worshiped. Here what I'm going to say. The reason Job could worship that day was because that altar for him was a place of surrender. I believe every time that God had blessed him with a child, as he went to sanctify that child before the Lord and offer that offering before the Lord, he gave that child to the Lord. Lord, you give it to me, I give it back to you. I believe that every one of those 10 children were on the altar of sacrifice laid. I believe all the possessions were on the altar of sacrifice laid. And I believe the reason that Job could worship it was because that altar, that place of ashes represented a place of surrender that Job, my friend, rather than waller and fight and fuss and fume and try, he had given them to the Lord. No, he didn't stop caring. No, he didn't stop loving. The Bible said that after the feast that he went and offered sacrifice just in case, just in case. Certainly he was a concerned parent. Certainly he was interceding. Certainly he had a burden just like the rest of us but the bottom line is that he laid them before the Lord and he surrendered them before the Lord how do you know preacher I've been to some funerals in my time preached quite a few I've been to some where the, that loved one had been surrendered and it turned into a worship service I've been to some funerals, son. It was as good a church as I've ever been in. I've seen some funerals that was just about camp meeting because that loved one was surrendered. But boy, for those who haven't surrendered their loved ones, man, what a terrible time that is. What I'm trying to say, that look what Job said. Look what he did. Uh, look, what he, look what he said. He worshiped, verse 21, and the famous words of Job came out. He said, naked. Came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave. And he said, And the Lord hath taken away. And he said these words: Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in this Job sinned not, nor charged God few foolishly. Do you know I know people today that are mad at God because their loved ones were taken? They're mad at God because their possessions were taken. They're ill at God because they don't believe it was fair. They don't believe that life has has dealt them a a good hand. They don't believe that that God's done right by them. And as a result of that, my friend, they vote up on God. And as a result of that, they're as cold as a wedge. And as a result of that, every time hardship comes, it just seems to, to, to compound. And it just seems to make it worse. And it just seems like it just grinds them deeper into the ground. Why is that, preacher? Because if you're saved by the grace of God, the next step in your life is surrender. Somebody said, but it's mine. No, it ain't. It's God's. Everything you have is God's. And the reason you just took that last breath you took is by the grace of God Almighty. You didn't take it because you deserve it. I didn't take it because I deserve it. My heart didn't beat the beat. It just beat because I deserve for it to beat. It beat the beat that it beat by the grace of God. Sure it did. And I've told you many times, I don't deserve to be here. I ought not be here. I've had some of those close calls in my life. There's some places, my friend, there ought to be a little white cross on the side of the road. But God had other plans. Hear what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to say to you that God gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So it was a place of solitude. It was the place that Job wanted to get back to as quickly as possible because it's where he had last seen God. It was at that place of the altar, that sitting in the ashes. It was a place not only of solitude in Job's life, but it was a place of surrender in his life. And maybe as he sat there and as he sifted through the ashes... He thought about all the different sacrifices and all the different blessings and all the different possessions and all the different things. And now all he had was those ashes to represent those things because they were all gone. All gone. Just ashes sifting through his fingers. That place of surrender. But finally, I'd like to say that place of solitude. Sitting in the ashes, I believe Job realized it was a place Not only of of solitude, not only a place of surrender, but it was a place of sovereignty. What do you mean, preacher? A place of sovereignty. Well, he had lost his wealth in chapter number one. He lost his health in chapter number two. And it's in chapter number two that he sat down among the ashes. And of course, his wife comes into the picture. It's the only time she shows up. She's not mentioned other than the children being born and children being born at the end. She's not mentioned. She is a secondary character in this story. And the wife says in verse number 9, And then his wife said unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? How would you like for your wife to say to you, Curse God and die? But he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God, and shall we not receive evil? And all this did not Job sin with his lips. Can I just, can I just see this, say this? I don't believe Mrs. Job had been to that ash heap very often. Why is that? Because if she had been out there with him, I don't believe she'd have said what she said. I don't believe she was a surrendered, living a surrendered life. Matter of fact, it sounds like to me that all that pile of ashes was to her represented all those things they could have had. And Job and his fanaticism kept burning. And the first flockling, first Firstborn, he, uh, a male of the lamb, uh, of a ewe, Uh, instead of of taking it and breeding it and and, and keeping it, he'd take it out there and offer it to his God. And those ashes just seemed like a pile of waste to her. Why? Because she's the one who encouraged him to curse God and die. And by the way, the insinuation is that he should kill himself. That's what this insinuation was in that verse. Just a pile of waste, just a pile of ashes, because she hadn't lived the surrendered life. And the devil uses her as a tool. It's an amazing thing to me that she wasn't killed. I think the devil said, no, let's leave her. We can use her. I got a place for her in this whole plan. In his lowest point, setting him on the ashes, I'm going to take the person that's closest to him, and I'm going to take his three best friends, and I'm going to use them as a goat, and I'm going to gouge him. In the midst of his soreness, I'm going to see if I can throw a little alcohol on the burn. I'm going to see if I can throw a little bit of acid on the the hurt. I'm going to see if I can hurt him a little deeper. Can I tell you those bulls hurt on the outside, but what his wife said it hurt all the way on the inside of the bone. Hey, can I tell you that what he was going through and his breath stank and all those things, hey, he's sitting on that ash He been hurt on the outside, but what those friends had to say in their condemnation, it hurt to the bottom of his soul. Understand what I'm trying to say. That place sitting in the ashes, it represented a place of solitude in his life. Sitting in the ashes represented a place of surrender in his life. Sitting in the ashes represented a place of sovereignty in his life. What do you mean by that, preacher? Coincidence. There's no way that coincidence could have produced the total ruination of everything that Job had all in the same day. There's no way. There ain't nobody got that bad of look. So what do you say, preacher? I say you must see the hand of God in it. Same thing with blessing. There's blessings that come day by day. There's de- blessings, but hey, occasionally there'll be a big blessing. Occasionally there's something that happens that gets people's attention. And when that happens... Everybody just looks and stands up and says, wait a minute. I think I, God must be up to something right here. What's God up to? That's how Earl Malpas and I got close. Somebody gave him a $700,000 airplane. He called me about it, told me about it. And I saw that happen, and the man donated that airplane to him, and I said, God's got big plans. And I've been a cheerleader of his ever since. And that gift probably is going to be used in one of the greatest evangelistic operations the Caribbean's ever seen in the days to come. And thank God I help orchestrate it. I've been the cheerleader in that thing. Woo! Why? Because I saw God in something. I mean, something big. But can I tell you, when I see God, hey, whether it's calamity or whether it's blessing, I saw a family that were doing the right thing, raising their niece and nephew, Already had a house full, but all raising their niece and nephew. And one night after church, I saw their house and all their possessions go up in flames. And I had to believe that God was doing something. And this past week, I toured a home. I'm talking about a home fit for a king. I'm talking about luxury and things that most people would only imagine. Things that I'm talking about the owners left with everything, left it in place. I'm talking about things that they left. I'm talking about thousands and tens and thousands of dollars of things. I'm talking about houses and rooms and levels. I got confused trying to go from side of the house to the side of the house. I'm talking about a place that I'd need a road map to try to figure out where I was going in. Don't tell me, son, that that was bad luck. Don't tell me. Oh, that was just a shortage in the wiring. No, let me tell you what that was. That was the hand of a great big God working in sovereignty. It was the hand of a great big God. You say, but preacher, all they had was a pile of ashes. Yeah, but let me tell you what God's fixing to do out of them ashes. Be real still, be real faithful, be real careful. Let's just watch see what God does. You want the address? I'm telling you, touch it. I'm telling you, go there right now and look at it. And ain't a man alive that's got any sense whatsoever to ever be able to see that, ever be able to watch that, ever be able to go there and say, God wasn't in that. Years ago. Woo! (laughs) We were working on that warehouse. Everything went wrong. Everything went wrong. Brother Rogers, everything went wrong. There ain't nothing go right. Everything went wrong. And I had brought a Filipino boy in here named Joel. I didn't realize he'd never driven anything. I didn't realize he'd ever been on anything. I didn't know that. I didn't realize that on their island there were no motor vehicles. They walked everywhere they'd ever been. We were trying to pack the gravel and get compaction, and I put him on a big compactor. And I said, now, Joel, don't you get this thing next to the edge. It'll flip on you, buddy. It's articulating. Don't get next to the edge, Joel. And he run around there, and he was a packing, and he was a driving, and he was a packing. I went and got a chainsaw. There's two big old telephone poles sticking up right there where the first bay is at, right there where the outside freezer's at. Right there, there's, there's telephone poles on every one of those Uh, big big steel beams that stick up. There's two 30-foot telephone poles driven in the ground, and they were sticking up, and I'd got the chainsaw. It was laying in the dirt. I was getting ready to cut those posts off to the correct height for the pour of the concrete, but somebody got my attention, and I walked away, and I heard a scream, and I looked and saw that Packer flip upside down and go down off that dock. I'm talking about it was still running, oil sporing out of it. There was a place about 12 inches high between the ground. The post had gone and caught the floorboard of that thing, the stairwell and the floorboard. Mark was over here on the loader. He jumped off and run. He'd had EMT experience. Here come Joel crawling out in front of that thing. Had a little oil on him. There was just enough room to live at the bottom of that post. Just barely enough room to live. But the sovereign God of heaven spared that boy's life. And a doubt in my mind, God did that. And a doubt in my mind that God did that. God kept me from cutting that pole. God did that. And years later, he's in the Philippines. He's on our island. He hits a pig with a motorcycle. His wife's behind him, they hit a pig, it throws him and when it does it dislodges a kidney stone the size of a, of a pinto bean and shoves it in the ureter and he begins to scream in pain. There's a typhoon on the island, he can't get off. Three days later they, they, they take him by boat and they take him by jeepney and they take him by motor car to a little old clinic and the doctor says the kidney's dying, we've got to take it out. I was at the wilds of all places. The, re- the telephone reception was terrible. His wife Jean called me, speaking a little bit of Subwano, a little bit of a little bit of English, and a little bit of uh, Tagalog, and she was trying to tell me about it. And she said they're going to take his kidney; he's going to die. They're going to take his kidney; he's going to die. I said, "No, stop! Whoa, stop! Don't stop!" She, I lost the connection. I called Timothy. Got Jerry out of the bed. I said, "Call on your phone. You get you get her right now on the phone, Timothy. We're gonna have a four way conversation." And you give her some instructions. And I'm not using this bold. But this is what I said. I stood flat footed on the ground. I said you tell her that I said. Do not remove his kidney. Get the stone out. It will work. No, no. The doctor said it's been too long. No, no. It's gone. No, no. I said God. The God of heaven did not spare that boy's life down here at this warehouse to for him to die in the Philippines from a kidney stone. Do not take it out. And she said, But he died, preacher. I said, If he dies, he'll die. But I'm telling you, he's not going to die, he's going to live. God's going to do something. Be still. God's going to do something. Amen. In a matter of hours, one of the top urologist surgeons in Manila called the doctor that was dealing with him. He was just a family physician. And one of the top urologists in Manila who he'd went to school with, went to doctor school with, hadn't seen him in years. He called him early in the morning. He said, hey, buddy, just wanted to look you up, tell you that I'm here in Legaspi on holiday. And this doctor said, you're here? He said, yeah, I'm here. He said, please come quickly. I got a man who's going to die. They did general anesthesia. They took a scaffold. They opened that boy's back. They went in and saw that in that tube. They opened that ureter. That stone popped out and that kidney began to work. They put a stent in it and sewed him back up and he's still starting churches today. He's on his fourth church finished and another started. What are you trying to say, preacher? I'm telling you, when it seems like everything's ashes and when it seems like that everything's come to an end, when it seems like, hey, hey, when it seems like the bottom, when it can't get no worse, you be real still. Because God's fixing to do something. Amen. I heard one of the most heartbreaking things this week. This is real life right now. right? This is real time. I told you all a few weeks ago, a few months ago, about a missionary had been on the field two weeks, was killed by a rebel in Africa. His family were persecuted, and, and, and they were even threatened at the funeral. This week, that mother of eight went to the doctor. She has five tumors in her liver. They won't know till this coming week, but it looks bad. It looks real bad. Here's what I'm fixing to tell you husband killed, murdered, threatened at your funeral, and now it seems like she's going to leave eight children for somebody else to raise. And her words were "I I know God's real, but said the fire's so hot right now that I can't find him or I can't feel him. Job wrote something about that. Job knew something about that. Please pray for that lady, Miss Westco. It's an unbelievable story, and it seems that, it seems that they're in the fire like none other. But you hear what I'm fixing to tell you? I don't know how, I don't know when, and I don't know what. But son, God's got some plans. I don't know if if they're watching their mama go through this and watching their daddy die. If there's another DL Moody. If there's another Whitfield, if there's another Spurgeon among those boys, I don't know what, but God's molding and making, God's doing something. I don't know if there's a Fanny Crosby sitting there among those daughters. I don't know all I know about what's going on, but I know this. Coincidence don't cause these sort of things, folks. I'm telling you when the, hey, whether it's extremely good or extremely bad, hey, the child of God don't go by coincidence. There's no such thing as luck, but only the sovereign hand of a holy God. And I saw it this past week, and it's been burning into my soul. I saw it in Samuel's accident, and it's been burning into my soul. I've seen it over and over again in this ministry in 35 years. And my friend, I can't hardly describe what I feel inside of me, that the God of heaven again and again and again And not just in my life, and not just in the ministry's life, but in your lives. I've seen God, when you were at your lowest point and thought you couldn't draw another breath, I've seen God raise you up out of the ashes and do things that nobody thought possible. You see, Abraham was willing to go through with that sacrifice of Isaac. The New Testament says that he believed that God was able to raise him up out of the ashes. Can I tell you? I believe God's very able to do that. If He made the world out of nothing, don't you reckon He can make a, a boy out of ashes? Oh yeah. Let I me mean, just say it this way: when all else failed, Job went to where he had last seen God. He went to the altar, and he sat down among the ashes. The high- Is better. The anchor You've been listening to the Anchor Baptist Church radio broadcast with Dr. Randy Barton, pastor of the Anchor Baptist Church. You can address all correspondence to 3232 Hendersonville Highway, Pisgah Forest, North Carolina, 28768. Join us again next time for another message. The anchor holds its spine.